thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It is so good to see you this morning, to have you with us. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be as we uh, spend some time together uh, in this particular chapter over the next few weeks. I very much enjoy this chapter. I think there's so much that we can learn from, from this chapter. I think we could be in this chapter for, for several, several months and continue to find new things, new ideas. Uh, it wouldn't just be the same lessons over and over again. And that's one of the things I love about uh, spending time in this particular passage. I think if you had to, if you had to put a title on this, um, if you had to put a title on what we're going to talk about, I think the word lost is, is really a good place because everything, there, there is just this constant reminder of things being lost in this passage. And then maybe the, the next way you could look at it is found. Maybe that would be another way we could talk about it because there is this idea of everything that is lost pretty much in this passage is found, but it is a, it is a reminder. It is a reminder in many ways that by ourselves we are lost and without Christ, uh, we can never be found. And that's some things that we're going to talk about together today. But as we get into this passage together, let's go to God in prayer. Let's just pray over our time together. God, we thank you for being the God that doesn't want us to stay lost. Thank you for being the God that searches, that came, and to seek and save that which was lost. Uh, help us to have a heart uh, willing to accept salvation willing to live in salvation, God, and willing to share salvation with other people. I'll be with us now as we study from this great passage. Help our hearts to be pricked by your spirit and convicted by your word so that if there are changes that we need to make in our life, that they will be made um, in a very powerful way, in a way that changes our life and puts us on a better course that leads us closer to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's, let's open up the text together and let's, let's read it together and we'll kind of break it down and talk about some things as we go through here. As we begin, we begin with just the first couple of verses here. And I think the first couple of verses, number one, they set the stage for everything that's going on, but I think they speak to us as well in a very powerful way. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, as this whole section opens up, there are three different groups of people, or really two different groups, but several titles thrown around. The first is tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. So if we were to create a flow chart of people who were important at this time, we, we start at the bottom with tax collectors. Now, we all understand uh, none of us enjoy paying taxes. Any of you enjoy paying taxes, getting your check every week and seeing that money gone? None of us do. None of us enjoy that. But these tax collectors in the day of Jesus, man, they were a different breed because they were, especially these people here in uh, that Jesus is dealing with, I mean, they are Jews. They are followers of God, if you will. They're, they're part of that chosen 
those chosen people, but they've decided to turn their backs on their brothers, and they're working for the Roman government. They're working for the people who basically have all of the control. And basically what they say is, hey, look, you know what, Matthew, you get to be a tax collector, and you're going to go, and we need X amount of money, but if you can get more money out of them, then, then that's fine. Pay for, your, pay for yourself out of that. Just get whatever you can get on top of that. Just make sure we get our cut. And if you think back to the story of Zacchaeus, that's exactly what Zacchaeus' big issue was. Remember he says that if I have taken for you, if I have stolen for you, I'm going to give back to you so much more than I had taken. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus had done. And he was trying to make that right. But that's why people didn't like him. And so you've got these people they're, they're even below sinners. And, and I think that's interesting. You've got tax collectors, and then you step up in the world to the sinners. And these are people that the religious elite, if you will, looked down, and they didn't like the way that they lived. They were, they were the prostitutes. They were, uh, all, you know, I mean, just a lot of different people that just weren't living their life right. And they, you, they were the people that needed Jesus the most. You know, they really were. They were the people that needed Jesus the most. And look at how they are described. I love this. Look at how they were described. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. What was their focus? What were they concerned about? They were concerned about hearing Jesus, hearing his message. And they were gathered around him. And they were, I can imagine that they were listening to him and they were, they were paying attention to what all he had to say. And they were, they were interested in this life that he had to offer them. So you've got that group of people over here on this side. Then on the other side, you have what I'm going to call for the sake of this lesson, the spiritual elite, the spiritual elite. How, how are they described? They're described as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. All right. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, if there is anybody, if there is anybody that understood the law of Moses and how to go about making sure you lived it in the proper way, getting everything done to the letter of the law, it was these group of people. Paul says that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. All right, and, and we look at that idea, we look at being a, a Pharisee from today's perspective looking backwards. We look at that as a negative thing. They were all about getting things right. They were all about going through the motion without the heart behind it. That's why Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount all these things. He says, you have heard it said, and a lot of those are followed up with, with issues of the law. You've heard it said, do this, but I'm telling you, you've got to put the heart behind it as well. And Jesus kind of works that direction into some of these people's lives. And it had aggravated them. It had made them mad. They were, they were proud. They were proud that they understood the law. They were proud that they got all of the intricate details right. They were proud of, of being these type of people, these spiritually elite people, because they were so close to God because of the actions that they had down pat in their life. And they're gathered around Jesus as well. But what does it say that they're doing? What word does it use there? You've got one group that's gathered listening. The second group that's there is gathered. And what are they doing? They're murmuring. We talked about this a few Sunday nights ago, didn't we? That kind of just gropping and complaining under your breath. And what was their complaint? This man, what? What does it say? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know about you, but their greatest complaint about Jesus was actually the greatest compliment they could have ever given him. Amen? Because if it wasn't for a Savior who was willing to eat with sinners, I wouldn't have had a chance. You wouldn't have had a chance this morning. But what I want to warn us about is I want us to make sure that we are careful and that we don't become the spiritual elite. Because it would be so easy to think about, look how close I am to God. Look, I've come to church this morning, and I've done all of the acts of worship just exactly like we were supposed to. Hey, we're taking communion on the first day of the week. We're singing a cappella. We've got all these things that we're checking off, making sure we're doing the way we think they need to be done. And, and Jesus has said, don't forget, hey, it's not bad to be here, but don't forget the heart. Don't look and say, just because I've done all of these things right, that I'm closer to God than these sinners that live in this community around us. He says, look, make sure that you remember that your salvation is a heart issue as well. Jesus is sitting in the upper room with his disciples, his apostles, his closest group of people, his closest group of friends. And he's just had this moment where He's, he's washed their feet. He's become a servant, and he's having these conversations with them, and he says, look, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I'm going to give you a new commandment to love. And not just love the way that the world loves. He says, but love as I have loved you. Love as I have loved you. Love in the way that you've seen me love other people. Don't just love people in this room. Don't just love people that think the same as you, that look the same as you, that act the same as you. He said, you make sure you love everybody the way that I love. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. Loving like Jesus is not the easiest thing to do, is it? It can be very difficult, but he says, hey, look, let's, let's let that be our focus. Let's love like Jesus. Now, I love his words in Colossians. Uh, I love the words that Paul writes in Colossians, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I ought to do this sometime and I can't do this with you now because if I ever do this with you, you're gonna understand the point. I'd love to survey a group of people and ask the question, how do you fulfill the law of Christ? That there would be a lot of different answers, wouldn't there? There'd be a lot of different answers. But Paul says to fulfill the law of Christ, what do you do? You care about other people. You carry each other's burdens. You make sure that they realize that they are just as important to you and that you love them just like Christ would love them and just as they are important to Christ. And he says, look, don't forget, there's a heart issue in this walk. Don't become this religious elite and think you're better than other people because of your closeness to God. And that's really who he's talking to. As you start in this parable and you read through this parable, he's not talking really, I don't believe, to the sinners. Jonathan and I have had this conversation a couple of times in the office. I don't think this parable is addressed to the sinners that are sitting there, the tax collectors. He's talking to this religious elite. And he's saying, I want you to pay attention because you're missing something here. And I'm going to show you what you're missing. And then he starts in to our, to our, what we call our text. And he starts in to these stories. And we're going to read the first two together. And then we're going to make two observations from them. The first starts with this. He says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep 
and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, let's talk about a couple of things together that I want you to walk away with and understand this morning. The first thing is this, being lost is a scary place to be. Being lost is a scary place to be. You know, there has been... There has been a change in, in our preaching over the last couple of generations to where many of you remember that there were a lot of sermons and a lot of emphasis on, on being lost and the ramifications of being lost, the idea that if you're lost, you're going to hell, and, and that the, the preaching, it's not that the message has changed, it's just the approach has changed, and now there's a lot more sermons on, hey, if you're lost, you're missing out on these great blessings from God. It's not as much um, gloom and doom as much as it is, look what you're going to miss out on if you don't if you don't make this commitment to God and become a child of God. But one of the things that I think we cannot forget, one of the things that we can not forget, and, and, and it's not something that we're comfortable talking about and enjoy talking about, but that is this, hell is real, and there are people that we love that are going to end up there. Hell is real, and there are people that we love that are going to end up there. As a matter of fact, if we're just real and honest about it, the truth of the matter is there's probably people in this room who might end up there. Being lost is scary. Being lost means I am separated from God. Paul tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. And, and death, many times we think, about, we think about actual physical death, but death in a spiritual sense is the idea of separation from God, not having a relationship with him. And when we don't have a relationship with him, we don't benefit from the blessings that come with being. We talk about salvation. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about all these things, the strength that God gives us when we need, need to get through challenging times. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit and the ability to love and to care for people beyond our own capacity. We talk about all these things that come from this wonderful God. But this morning, if you've not made that commitment, if you've not had your sins washed away, if you've not claimed that relationship with Jesus and say, Jesus, I give it all to you, then you're lost. And sometimes in the church world, we create this environment that everybody feels saved. I go to church. I have the same experience as all those baptized Christians. I feel saved. I hear the same sermon. I sing the same songs. My life, I, I live a good life. And we almost can create 
a false hope, a false comfort. But in every story here, and especially the first two, the reoccurring theme is that there are things that are lost. And I want you to just take a moment and just really think about your own life and ask yourself this question. Am I truly saved or am I lost? Because there's two things that you can know for a fact when you walk out of this room today. One of them is the positive. Hey, I am saved and I can know and I can have assurance in our salvation and that should comfort us and that should encourage us and that should motivate us that if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I have fellowship with him and I can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm in the comfort and protection of a saving God this morning. But the other side of that is this, if you're not in that relationship, you can be assured that when you walk out of this room today, you are lost when you got here, you're lost right now and you're going to be lost when you leave. I don't want that for anybody. God doesn't want that for anybody. Jesus' mission was to come and seek and save. That was what? That which was lost. He came and died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to live a lost life, so you wouldn't have to go to hell when this life is over. Jesus did that for you and he wants that for you. And I want that for you as well. See, that's the great thing about this particular passage is that it is about things that were lost, but then were what? Found. Let's put it another way, especially with the lost sheep, it was something that was lost and was saved. Something that was lost and dying and something that was saved and brought to life. And so this morning, I don't want you to find yourself and decide to stay in that lost category because there's nothing fun about being lost. There's nothing enjoyable about being lost. Although our world puts a premium on sin, it takes sin and it puts it up on a pedestal and it says, this is fun, this is exciting, you know, this is, the, this, is, this is a great way to live, but God says the wages of your sin. I want you to think about that. He's not making a blanket statement. There's an individual concept to that too. The wages of your sin. Say, that, say it with me this way. The wages of my sin. Say that. The wages of my sin is death. Hold on to that thought. That's something we don't want for anybody this morning. But the next idea in both of these texts is that as scary and sad as it is to be lost, there is joy in being found. There is joy in being found. Have you ever lost something that you didn't know you lost? Is that possible to lose something and not know you lost it? There's a really... We had this kid in our youth group. His name was Alan Hooper. Alan was a good friend of mine. He lives in Savannah now. Again, he'd left and he's come back home. Um, Alan had a habit of falling asleep in places he didn't need to fall asleep. And so on two different mission trips, two different mission trips, um, they were both, they both happened to be in, at the same place, but it was uh, one summer and then the next summer. So we'd got our mission trips that we did growing up is we, um, 
we would go to different congregations and we'd take our vacation Bible school and we'd do our vacation Bible school with that congregation. And well, one of the places that we went, probably my favorite place that I ever went uh, was to Fayetteville, North Carolina, to the Helen Street Church of Christ. Uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina is Fort Bragg, the largest army base in the country. Uh, it was a very unique congregation because it was a true military church. Uh, and we went the summer before 9-11 and the summer after 9-11. The summer before 9-11, it felt like just this real normal place, this real normal church with these military guys that were, that, that was their job, you know, but there wasn't this overall like military feel to it. Um, the next summer after 9-11, we went and all the men were gone. They were gone. It was old retired men and wives and kids. And they had called us and they said, hey, can you come back and spend the summer with us again and do this again? Uh, because all of our men are gone. Um, I have no doubt that if all the women had left, that church would have shut their doors. But since all the women stayed, they were able to continue and function and everything got taken care of. But it was, it was a great, great trip. The first trip though, after like the third night of vacation Bible school, Alan Hooper, we went to Denny's at one o'clock in the morning. The youth minister took us. We had a bus driver, okay? Uh, we went to Denny's at one o'clock in the morning because that was like the only place in Fayetteville at one o'clock that was open that like needed to be there as a group. And that we, it was appropriate, you know? So, so we're there. Well, Alan eats and then Alan crawls in a booth and falls asleep. And we get back on the bus and it is the one time in my youth minister's whole career that he didn't count to see how many kids we had on the bus. And guess where Alan was? Still sound asleep in that booth. Well, we were staying with, um, we were staying in a house of a family there, had a big house for sale. It was empty. We just brought air mattresses. We were, he had no idea where we were staying. Had no, he couldn't remember the name of the church. He had no idea anybody's phone. This was Hey, kids, you ready? This was before we all had cell phones, okay? So there wasn't even a cell phone on the trip with the adults. We had calling cards that we used at pay phones to call home with. Um, so they called the police department. The police department, the, the officer came and picked him up. He rode around with Alan, and this cop rode around all night long until the office opened up the next morning and they could call and get a hold of somebody and figure out where we were. Alan was in the car during a shootout that night. And Alan's a police officer now, which I think is because of this moment. Anyway, this cop shows up to the door the next morning. He goes, hey, he goes, are you missing any of your kids? When our youth minister and the elder go to the door, are you guys missing any kids? We're like, no, uh-uh. Alan's dad was on the trip in the house and his big brother. Never noticed he was gone. Never noticed at all that he was gone. Okay, and he goes, yeah, I think you're missing one of your kids. He goes, are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. And Alan gets out of the car. We didn't know Alan was lost. But let me tell you what, there was rejoicing when this kid who was lost had been found again. And it was, it was a joke, and it was a, a, a funny, it, was, it worked out in a very positive way. The next year, we're in Fayetteville. Alan falls asleep in the church pew as we're all fixing to go on to the Army base for a uh, tour. And we left him again. So um, Alan, when Alan said he was joining the military, I'm like, whatever you do, don't fall asleep anywhere but in the barracks, please. Um, but being found is a great thing. There was an excitement. Alan had a fun time that night. But there was a great excitement in Alan when he was back in the safety 
of his church family. When he was back to that place where he was comfortable, where he was loved, where he was taken care of, his mom was none too happy with his dad the rest of the trip. But that's a whole different conversation for a whole different sermon. But listen, being found, being saved, being included in this church family is such a great and blessed thing. And it is what God desires for each and every one of us. And when we make that commitment to become his child, to have our sins washed away, when we receive the Holy Spirit, as we talked about a few Sundays ago, as that deposit, as that assurance of our salvation, we can live our life in a more positive way. People always are like, well, you know, if I become a Christian, things in my life are going to get better. You know, it's just going to make my world better. It's not necessarily going to make your world better. You're still going to have struggles. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to have temptations. But the difference is you're filling your life with positive reinforcement from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when I'm pouring that much positive into my life, my life is going to be different. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be positive. Regardless of what's going on around me, I'm going to have a different aspect because I am saved. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul makes just an amazing statement because I think if we're not careful, we have a tendency to become complacent in our salvation as well. We don't need to become the religious elite. We sure need to make sure that we're saved. We don't want anybody to be lost. But it's also easy to just get into the rhythm and the routine of being a Christian and become complacent in it a little bit. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9, he says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, there's there's the second point we made. Okay, you can be lost and you're not gonna inherit the kingdom. Matter of fact, though, here, he's actually talking to Christians. Okay, so there is a place and a time and a situation that you can become a child of God and then you can decide to live your life in a way that still keeps you out of the kingdom. And we don't want that either. And that's what this is about. I don't want you to become complacent in your faith. And Paul doesn't either and God doesn't either. Or don't you know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, let's go back to the very beginning of our text in, in, in Luke. Tax collectors and sinners. That's what he's just described, right? People who don't have a right relationship with God. This long list, all these people, these wrongdoers, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now, for a lot of us, we look at that list and we go, well, that's not me. That's not me. But we become complacent, and I believe that's why he writes the next phrase, verse 11, and that's what some of you were. Don't ever forget what God has saved you from. Don't ever forget what God has saved you from. You were dying in sin. You were separated from God. And and don't ever forget what God saved you from. You were some of those people, and that's what some of you were. But listen to this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. If you don't have that verse underlined, you need to underline those three words in your Bible. You were washed. You had that moment of baptism. You had that moment of salvation. You had that moment, as Jesus said, if you believe in me and are baptized, you will be what? Okay, all at one time, okay? The word saved, you ready? If you believe and you are baptized, you will be saved. saved. It's not that hard, is it? It's not that complicated. And listen, that's not Matthew doctrine. That's not Church of Christ doctrine. That's not this church doctrine, that church doctrine. That's red letter Jesus. Red letter Jesus. Simple and plain, he says, I need you to do two things. I need you to believe in me, and I need you to be baptized. And if you do those two things, guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to wash you. I'm going to sanctify you, and you're going to be justified. I'm going to wipe the ledger clean. There's a lot of red in your ledger. I'm going to wipe it all away. It's all gone. Everything that you were is gone. Shh, nothing there. He goes, and then I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you pure. You know, we, have, we struggle with that because we think, raise your hand if you put yourself in the category of pure and holy this morning. Why is nobody raising their hand? Because if you have the Holy Spirit, God looks at you and he doesn't see your soul. He sees his spirit and he sees you as pure and holy. That's the point of being sanctified. He says, and I'm going to justify you. I'm going to treat you just as if you have never sinned. You're pure and holy before me. That's the greatness of our salvation. And we don't ever need to forget it. We don't ever need to become complacent in it. And we need to use it as our motivation to go out and share that salvation with other people. You can't make them be saved. You can't force them to be baptized. But you can share your story. You can share how you were sanctified, how you were washed, how you were justified before God. And you can show them the power of being found, of being saved. Being lost is a scary thing. And I think we see from this text and from our conversation, there's a lot of ways that I can be lost. I can be lost out there doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing. I can be lost sitting right here and just missing one step in my life with God. That one step, that one commitment step of being baptized. Some of you, that's all you need to do. You're living the life. But all you need to do is make that one final step to wrap it all up. What's keeping you from making it? What's stopping you this morning? Don't, don't let anything, the only thing stopping you is you. My favorite phrase, my favorite phrase, and I don't think I've used it here as much as I have other places. You do what you want to do. Nobody makes you do anything. You do what you want to do. You make decisions because you want to make them. You're here this morning because you want to be. You do what you want to do. If you've got that relationship with God, rejoice always in it. Rejoice always. Let it overflow out of you in your life so that people, when they bump into you, they can't help but get a little bit of Jesus. Let that be who you are. Let that be what people see you as. Enjoy your salvation. Enjoy being found this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer and then we'll have a moment of invitation. God, we, we're so grateful for the relationship that we have with you. Some of us have a relationship with you this morning that is a pre-salvation relationship. 
There are some people here this morning, God, that God, they've not committed their life to you. They've not said that you're my savior. They've not had their sins washed away in baptism. They've, they've, they've not pledged that life of good conscience as, as Peter talks about. But God, they're here. There's something about you that draws them. There's something that has pricked their hearts and brought them here this morning. But God, give them the courage, give them the conviction to take that next step to have their sins washed away and become your child today. God, for those that have made that decision, we say thank you. And we know that the road, the journey with you is not always easy. There's gonna be moments that we struggle. If, if, if anyone is finding themselves in a moment of struggle today, God, please allow your spirit to just give them greater strength, to give them greater understanding to just give them greater hope, to know that the struggle does not define them, but rather you do, and that you will help them overcome the moment. God, help us to live with the cross in our view every single day. Help it to motivate us, to push us, to encourage us, to show others you. Allow your spirit to just flow out of us in our conversation. May it be seasoned with you in everything that we say. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death, for his willingness, for his ability to live as a perfect sacrifice and then have his blood shed so that our ledgers can be clean and washed free. Help us to never become complacent in that, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is beyond the azure blue, a God concealed from human sight. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community.